0: This morning on the third Sunday of Advent, we continue our series called Love Revealed. In His coming to us on that first Christmas day, perfect love is revealed through the purpose of Jesus' life, which is reflected in His name itself. The purpose is to save His people. Matthew chapter 1 starting in verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one of the blue Bibles, and you can find it on page 783. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Listen carefully. These are God's words. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Lord we revel in these familiar christmas time texts we revel in these familiar christmas time songs but we pray especially in this time ahead by your spirit give us fresh understanding renew our hearts cause us to hear your word as if for the first time and respond with the only natural response praise gratitude, adoration, humble dependence. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Love is revealed in this passage to save His people from our sin by His death. Simple outline this morning, from our sin. When the angel appears to Joseph in a dream, he has two messages from God to deliver. Don't change your wedding plans, number one and name your baby boy Jesus. Don't change your wedding plans, number one. Had to have been an incredible relief to Joseph to heal his broken heart. He had discovered Mary's pregnancy, and he knew he wasn't the father. No doubt he felt crushed, betrayed, wondering what to do. He could have publicly disgraced her. He could have brought shame on her and her family's name, but he planned to quietly break things off. You'll notice that it says divorce because back then an engagement meant more than it does today. You were pledged to be married. You were almost as if married. It just hadn't consummated it on the wedding night. So the angel basically tells him, Joseph, it's not what you think. Believe it or not, your still virgin girlfriend is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So stay the course be a dad, be a good husband. But nothing would ever be the same for Joseph or this young family. The second instruction is in verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Naming was the privilege of parents. Naming was a sign of authority, and in this particular circumstance, the authority parents have over a newborn child to give him or her a name that they will carry throughout life. But how do you name someone who created you? How do you name someone who predates you by, oh, forever, and give him a name? So the Lord, through the angel, gives the baby the name, Jesus, which means the Lord saves. In the Hebrew, it's Yeshua, Yahweh saves. To be saved, to experience salvation, those are too often buzzwords, Christian jargon, sometimes overused inside the walls of the church. What does it mean to be saved? But maybe it's uh, overused and tired because we forget how desperately we need saving from. Maybe it's because we forget what we need to be rescued from don't you sometimes believe that what you most need to be rescued from is drudgery and toil lord save me from port authority <laughs> save me from the traffic jam on the way to pick up the school uh, kids from school sometimes we think the biggest thing we need saving from is illness or pain financial stress messy relationships Lord, save me from ever having to see that person ever again. Save me from having to hear them speak those grating words one more time. Rescue me, Lord. Are you ever tempted to think, God, if you'll take this away or provide for me, then I will fall in line, obey, serve you, then I'll be content? Or if you're a skeptic, have you ever thought or said, then I will believe? Another way of asking the question is, what does your heart long to be freed from? Whatever you think the answer is, God has always known. The only answer, and He's provided the only rescue from your truly worst enemy, Jesus has come to save His people from our sin. Salvation isn't rescue from something or someone out there, some enemy out to get you, some thorn in the flesh that just won't stop tormenting you, and if you could just pluck it out, everything would be better. No, salvation that Jesus has come to provide is really rescue from yourself. That's what the gospel tells us. I want you to do some homework. You can start uh, in the rest of the service this morning. I want you to start really paying attention to Christmas songs. You listen to 106.7, 99.1. A lot of those stations are constantly playing Christmas music. Figure out which ones are fluff. Fun lyrics, happy lyrics, happy things. Enjoy it. I'm not saying throw out the baby with the bathwater. But figure out which ones are fluff and which ones poetically capture the richest, deepest truths of salvation and eternity, which truths speak of something that will last forever about the coming in the flesh, the incarnation of God the Son. There's a big difference on the radio between fluff that we can enjoy and substance. You know, uh, two of my kids and another adult in the household love fluff, I don't get it. They love it. <laughs> um, fluff is fine. You put it on a, a little graham cracker. Fluff is fine. You add it to your peanut butter sandwich. But, but fluff is not okay if that's the substance of your diet, right? A little bit is fine. What does the substance of our diet need to be? The richest poetic truths about sin and salvation. Can you tell the difference? Do you know which ones are worship and which ones belong in the mall as you're finishing your Christmas shopping? Here's one rich example. God rest you merry gentlemen. It's, it's, it's peppy, uh, but don't let that mislead you into thinking that its words are light and fluffy. The very first stanza tells us the purpose of Jesus' birth, to save us all from Satan's power. That's serious stuff. When we were gone astray, oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Why such repeated, emphatic comfort and joy to sing because we need to be rescued from Satan, from darkness. Why do we need rescue? Because we have gone astray in our sin. Not such comfort and joy because of presents and candy canes or a jolly guy in a red suit promising all of your heart's desires, but because Jesus has come to save from evil, from death from what lurks inside of us that would destroy us unless it was addressed. Here's a great line from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. The King of kings, the Lord of the universe, came in utter humility so that death might be defeated for His people. Jesus was born to die in order to give His people life from the death that our sins deserve. We need a second birth because sin has caused death, and Jesus has come to save His people. Then there's one of my favorite lines of all Christmas hymns. It's uh, in Joy to the World. We just sung it. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessing flow far as the curse is found. I think we actually skipped that one, didn't we? Um, No more let sins and sorrows grow. Reversing the curse. A fair description of sin is this. It's not the way it's supposed to be. That applies to our bodies, that applies to our minds, our hearts, that applies to all of the physical world, the creation. Nothing is the way it's supposed to be. What is it supposed to be? Perfect according to God's design at creation. Sin has tainted everything. Sin has corrupted everything. But Jesus has come to make all things new. And joy to the world has in mind His first advent, His first coming, but also His second one at the end of history when He will finish making all things new. One last example from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. O come, Thou rod of Jesse free, Thine own from Satan's tyranny. There's that guy again. From depths of hell Thy people save and give them victory over the grave. Those lines don't just rhyme, they preach. They preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The wonder of Christmas is that God the Father sent God the Son to rescue us from our own sinful hearts. Last Sunday, I described Advent through a quote as a season of spiritual preparation so that we would be found ready. If you remember, so that we wouldn't be sleeping when the sun rises, that we would anticipate with keen expectation. So, as you sing these songs, as you finish wrapping your presents, as you get ready for dinner feasts, are you growing in your awareness of why Jesus had to come? Are you reflecting on the depth of your sin? Are you realizing that great sinners need a great Savior? When Jesus was rebuked, I was just reading this last, uh, this past week in Luke, his gospel. When Jesus rebuked for allowing a sinful woman to anoint his feet with oil after wiping them with her tears and her hair, he said to those who were opposing him, Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Only, here's spiritual preparation during the season of Advent. Only as we grow in the depth of our awareness of my sin will we naturally, passionately run to the manger and worship the Christ child in humble adoration. Otherwise, He simply remains a sentimental figure, play-acting a role among the toys under your Christmas tree. This reality of Jesus' name describing Jesus' mission to save, it flies in the face of sentimental Christmas season talk about achieving world peace, about making the world a better place, one deed, one good deed at a time. Absolutely, world leaders and ambassadors, we need to be praying for them to work towards world peace. Absolutely, one good deed at a time um, beautifully reflects a little bit of God's generous heart his character, his desire to love the loveless, those are good things. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. But none of us has what it takes to bring about joy and hope and freedom and peace, especially not from our greatest enemies of sin and death. We're powerless, we're hopeless. That's why light has had to dawn on darkness darkness of our hearts, darkness of our world from the outside in. That's why God has had to shine this light of the sun. That's why the unique baby born in a manger in Bethlehem had to come to save His people from our sins. There are two, there's a second name reflected in Matthew chapter 1. If you noticed, it's the name Emmanuel, literally God with us. The only way we can be with God God with us or us with God for eternity in his the presence of pure holiness is by this baby living out his name Jesus the lord saves from the death that comes from our sin that's what he's saving us from the holy judge of the earth must treat sin as it deserves he must treat sin as it has chosen because sin is a choice of death Sin is a choice of not God, and God is life. It's a pushing away of everything that is life-giving. How does the Lord save through the sending of His Son? He forgives sin. Forgiveness is a promise to no longer hold against you your sin. That's the offer of the gospel. I will no longer hold against you what actually deserves the death sentence. But that begs the question, how can a holy just judge maintain his justness, his justice, his righteousness, and keep that promise of forgiveness? A just judge cannot tell the drug dealer, I'm going to let this one pass. I'm not going to, I promise to never hold this against you. The fact that you are dealing drugs right across the street from the elementary school. He can't maintain his justice and make that promise both at the same time. How does God... The Father, who is perfectly just, purely holy, do both at the same time. If you believe that Jesus the Son was sent by the Father and fulfilled the meaning of His name, the Lord saves, then God the Father promises to never hold your sin against you because He has already held it against His Son. He already sent him to the cross as your perfect substitute. He says, you no longer have to pay the penalty for your sin because I have had my son do it for you. That's the gospel. That's at the heart of Christmas. That leads us lastly to focus on his death. This is love revealed, God to save his people from our sin by his death. Another Christmas hymn with striking lines. It's in the second stanza of What Child Is This? Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail the Word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. You don't get much richer than that in terms of half a stanza in a Christmas song. I don't think you'll hear that at the mall kind of morbid though, right? I mean, especially after the hymn starts out, what child is this? Starts out by marveling at the picture of a peaceful baby sleeping in his mommy's lap. That's the way Christmas songs should start, right? Maybe they should stay there. Hymn writer, why you got to go ugly? (laughs) Nails and spear piercing him. Uh, No one would walk into the maternity ward to visit pick up the newborn and say, I hope he doesn't die young. I hope he doesn't pick up any crazy diseases early in life. You don't do that. Why does a hymn go from peaceful baby in his mama's lap to nails and spear and a cross, symbol of death? Because this is no mere newborn. This is no mere baby. This is the Lord who has come to save. And that picture is necessarily part of the meaning of his name and part of the core of the fulfillment of his mission, reflecting his name. The Lord saves. That's how he will save. What is sown in scandal will be harvested in scandal. Jesus' beginning involves his mom's teen pregnancy, questioned paternity, social disgrace. Jesus' lifetime will include accusations of being a glutton and a drunkard, a Sabbath breaker, um, a threat to the religious and political peace of Israel, because the biggest scandal of all will be His preposterous claim that He is the Son of God. And Jesus' end will involve a cross, a spear, and nails between two career violent criminals with a mocking sign above his head, King of the Jews. The connection between Jesus' birth and Jesus' death, between the manger and the cross, is at the heart of the significance of Christmas. We can't celebrate Christmas without the two coming together. Otherwise, it's mere sentimentality. Have a holly jolly Christmas. That's all it is. The reason we can't just have a picture of a Christ child in the manger with cattle lowing and sheep positioned off to the side and the three kings standing there in the back, although they came a lot later, they're in our manger scenes. The reason we can't just have that is because incarnation, God come in the flesh, was all about living a fully human life in perfect obedience to the Father, doing everything, thinking everything, speaking everything perfectly with perfect motive, in perfect submission to the Father, something no one had ever done, will ever do, or could ever do. But Jesus, in His perfect righteousness, in His full human state, accomplished it in order to prove that He was the one who could take the place of His people who could serve the death sentence that our sin deserves, because only someone fully human, born of a woman, could take the place of a person. And only someone fully divine, conceived by the Holy Spirit, could have His substitute death apply for all of those who would trust in Him for all of eternity. This is Jesus, the Lord saved. One last poem to point you to These are the first few lines of G.K. Chesterton's poem called The House of Christmas, a child in a foul stable where the beasts feed and foam. Only where he was homeless are you and I at home. Let's not allow Christmas to remain merely sentimental family of God. Sure, enjoy the many beautiful things that this season brings. I'm not trying to be a Grinch. Have at it. Celebrate. Decorate. Give gifts. Feast. Sing songs at the mall. Even the fluffy ones. Those are fun. But remember that throughout it all, Christmas is Christmas because Jesus came in humility. Born in a stable. Homeless, as the poem puts it. There was no room for them in the inn. Homeless so that you and I might be brought home one day to stand face to face with Him. Emmanuel, God with us and us with God, enjoying perfect glory and majesty with Him. Christmas is Christmas because it sets the stage for the cross and the empty tomb. The newborn King is the King of glory who will rule the world one day without any opposition with truth and grace. Let's worship Him. Lord Jesus, You are the newborn babe in the manger, but You are also the King of glory. Those two don't cancel out each other. They exist in beautiful, majestic tension. And so we pray, especially as this Christmas season reaches its climax in two weeks, that You would allow us, bless us to remain in that growing tension, to on one hand celebrate and on the other hand bow our knees in awe that this would ever be the case for sinners like us. We give You praise, Jesus. Amen.